this morning. Scripture reading comes from James chapter 5, verses 7 through 11, which can be found on page 12 in your bulletin. Join me first in a prayer for illumination. Guide us, O God, by your word and spirit, that in your light we may see light, in your truth find wisdom, and in you, only God, we return to Indeed, take the prophet. James chapter 5, verse Amen. This morning, scripture reading comes from James chapter 5, verses 7 through 11, which can be found on page 12 in your bulletin. Join me first in a prayer for illumination. Guide us, O God, by your word and spirit, that in your light we may see light, in your truth find wisdom, and in your will discover your peace through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Be patient, therefore, beloved, until the coming of the Lord. The farmer waits for the precious crop from the earth, being patient with it, until it receives the early and the late rains. You also must be patient. Strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is near. Beloved, do not grumble against one another, so that you may not be judged. See, the judge is standing at the doors. As an example of suffering and patience, beloved, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Indeed, we call blessed those who showed endurance. You have heard of the endurance of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. This is the word of the Lord. One of the most famous psychology experiments ever conducted uh, was called the Marshmallow Test. This was a study at Stanford University in the 1960s and 70s that was designed to test young children's ability to delay gratification. The way it worked was a child would be brought into a room and presented with a marshmallow. The child was told that the researcher had to leave the room, but if they could wait until the researcher returned, they would get two marshmallows instead of just one. If they couldn't wait, they would only get one. So then uh, the researcher would leave, usually for 15 minutes or, or until the child could no longer resist eating the marshmallow uh, that was in front of them. And they repeated this experiment with hundreds of children between the ages of three and five. When they followed up with these individuals later, when they were teenagers, they discovered something surprising. The children who were able to delay gratification during the marshmallow test ended up scoring significantly higher on cognitive ability and coping with stress and frustration as teens. Now researchers today, I'm told, would want to consider many other factors that contribute to a person's success over the course of their lives, but the basic principle of the marshmallow test has held true. 
that one crucial factor in our growth is our ability to delay gratification, to be patient. I, I thought of the marshmallow test uh, because today we are talking about the theme of patience in our series on the fruit of the Spirit. Throughout this series, we've seen that the fruit of the Spirit is one of the key images that the New Testament uses to describe growth in Christian character. This metaphor of bearing fruit captures perfectly the combination of our responsibility and God's empowering. As we walk by the Spirit, repenting of sin and believing the gospel, the Spirit bears fruit in our lives, changing our habits and our practices. So, uh, this fall, we've looked at love, joy, and peace, and today we come to patience. Our text today from James 5 has some key lessons to teach us about patience. There are three things for us to learn. The prerequisite of patience, the practice of patience, and the purpose of patience. We see the prerequisite of patience in verse 7, the practice of patience in verses 8 and 9, and the purpose of patience in verses 10 and 11. So let's look at each one of these. First, the prerequisite of patience. You know what I mean by a prerequisite, right? At the university, a prerequisite is a class that you must take before you can take another one in the sequence. So pre-calculus is a prerequisite for calculus. If you want to take Zoology 470, Introduction to Animal Development with Professor Jeff Harden, uh, next spring, uh, you better be in Zoology 151, Introduction to Biology, right now. This is what I mean by the prerequisite of patience. Patience is the prerequisite for growth and maturity in the Christian life. To bear any of the fruit of the Spirit will require patience. One of the themes of the letter of James is the character of a mature follower of Jesus and how a believer grows into that character. The letter opens in this way in, in chapter 1. My brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of any kind, consider it nothing but joy because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its full effect, so that you may be mature and complete, lacking in nothing. James comes back to this theme here in the final chapter, in, in chapter 5, to encourage the church to be patient and let endurance have its full effect. Specifically, in verse 7, he gives a command and an illustration. The command is, be patient, therefore, beloved, until the coming of the Lord. In other words, patience will mark the whole of the Christian life from now until when Jesus returns. There will never be a time in this life when patience will not be necessary. So be patient. And the illustration is of the farmer who knows how to wait for the precious crop from the earth. He knows that he must be patient until the rains come and the seeds sprout and grow. Most of us today are not so familiar with farming or, 
or even with having to wait for very long uh, for anything. Uh, in his recent book, The Life We're Looking For, Andy Crouch gets at something of why this is the case in a chapter that he called The Superpower Zone. He begins with a very simple illustration of what he means by a superpower. Uh, he says he lives on a standard suburban street with a posted speed limit of 25 miles per hour, but he regularly sees cars that reach 35 or 40 miles per hour as they pass his home. And sometimes he finds himself going that fast, you know, one block to the stop sign. He says this about it. There's something about the accelerator pedal of a car, the accelerator pedal of a car, that gives us a sense of control and exhilaration, autonomy and liberation. On the right kind of day, it is a compensation for the frustrations of being human. With just a slight inflection of our foot, we exercise heedless power. It costs us nothing physically, but it rewards us with a jolt of energy that feels almost spiritual. This is what he calls a superpower. A superpower is power without effort. And our lives today are filled with superpowers, thanks to the, the Industrial Revolution and modern technology. Crouch makes clear there, there's nothing necessarily wrong with these inventions unless they make us people who don't know anymore how to wait, how to be patient when it's necessary. In contrast with these modern superpowers, Crouch compares how differently most humans have experienced life throughout history. He says, almost all of human history was carried on at the speed of roughly three miles per hour, the speed of walking. The Japanese theologian Kasuki Koyama provocatively called three miles an hour the speed of God, since it was the speed at which Jesus of Nazareth moved for almost his entire life. Before the invention of modern engines, any increase in speed above this natural threshold would have taken notab notable physical effort, the exertion of the sprinter, or the endurance of the marathon runner, the counterpoise strength and balance of horse and rider, the sailor harnessing the wildness of the wind. So the point here is this. If we're going to discover what it means to be fully human, bearing the fruit of the Spirit, we need a new perspective on patience. There is no accelerator pedal for bearing the fruit of the Spirit. We have to learn to walk at the speed of God, practicing patience daily. So how do we do it? How do we practice patience? In verses 8 and 9, James shows that our practice of patience has to do with our response to circumstances and, and to people. First, in verse 8, he says, You also must be patient. Strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is near. To strengthen one's heart means to fix it firmly in place. The English Standard Version translates this sentence, 
establish your hearts. This is closer to the core meaning. In Greek, the word translated strengthen or establish is used elsewhere to refer to God's creation of the world, when he established the world. It's also used of the founding of a city. These are things that are fixed and immovable. James is saying that Christians, in the face of life's challenges and difficulties, are to strengthen their hearts or, or establish their hearts on God's promises. Specifically, he says, in Christ's promise to come again to make all things right. Strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is near. To strengthen your heart in the face of opposition or provocation or mistreatment or adversity means to exercise patience, even when it would be easier not to. In these moments of testing that we face every day, all of us, it means making the deliberate choice to turn towards Christ and focus on God's faithfulness. In verse 9, James shows us the alternative, which is to become bitter and resentful grumbling against one another. The language of grumbling or complaining evokes many other stories in the Bible. When the people of God, in the face of difficult circumstances, choose to turn on one another and on God rather than to be patient and trusting. I think especially of the time after the Israelites crossed the Red Sea in the Exodus and they head into the wilderness they quickly discovered that the life of freedom into which the Lord brought them is much harder than they expected. They bitterly complain and even wish that they were back in, in Egypt. It's so ironic, but, but it reflects the reality of how we are so often. Just a side note here. I wonder if there might be something uh, in this story uh, for us to keep in mind as a church as we consider this move that we're planning to Blackhawk Avenue. Geneva Church has had to be patient for 55 years without a church building of its own. And God willing, we will move early next year into our new space, but we cannot forget God's faithfulness to this community over so many years in very different circumstances. And we can be sure that there will be new kinds of challenges and problems that arise, some that we haven't even thought about yet. We haven't even talked yet about what color the carpet should be. But whatever challenges arise, we will be faced with a choice. We can either set our hearts on God's faithfulness, or we can begin to grumble. And let me encourage us to be patient and to strengthen our hearts. This language of the heart in verse 7 is important because what circumstances do is reveal our hearts, what we most cherish and desire in our lives. And what patience does is change how we respond to those circumstances. In Greek, the word for patience is makrothumia. Makrothumia. We saw a related word a few weeks ago in Galatians 5, epithumia, which we saw there means over-desire 
uh, desiring something too much? Well, macrothumia, uh, patience, literally means long desire, macro desires. And when we're patient, we're learning how to lengthen our desires, how to wait. It's the opposite of being short-tempered. To be patient is to be long-tempered. This is why macrothumia is sometimes translated into English as forbearance. Forbearance captures more of the active character of patience. To offer forbearance means to give a debtor more time to pay. So in this sense, patience is not passive, just sitting around and waiting. It's actual and close to death. Newton told uh, the woman that her sister was very much on his mind and that he was praying for her. And he hoped that the Lord would heal her sister. But whatever happened, he encouraged her to keep trusting in God's goodness. And then he, then he wrote this. You have need of patience. And if you ask, the Lord will give it. But there can be no settled peace till our will is in a measure subdued. Hide yourself under the shadow of his wings. Rely on his care and power. Look upon him as a physician who is graciously undertaken to heal your soul of the worst of sicknesses, sin. Yield to his prescriptions. When you cannot see your way, be satisfied that he is your leader. When your spirit is overwhelmed within you, he knows your path. He will not leave you to sink. He has appointed seasons of refreshment, and you shall find that he does not forget you. Above all, keep close to the throne of grace. If we seem to get no good by attempting to draw near him, we may be sure we shall get none by keeping away from him. If we seem to get no good by attempting to draw near him, we may be sure we shall get none by keeping away from him. Above all, the practice of patience means drawing near to Christ. This brings us to our last point today. The purpose of patience. In verses 10 and 11, James tells us that suffering and patience go together. But he also tells us that God's greatest purposes for us are found in this intersection. Uh, let me explain. He gives two examples, and they each teach us something slightly different. First, he points to the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. The prophets are those who died without seeing the fulfillment of their hopes. Most of the Old Testament prophets were not accepted in their own time. They were persecuted. In this season, I received a letter from a dear Christian sister. She said some encouraging words. That she didn't, un she didn't know exactly what I was going through. But she wanted me to know that she was praying for me. But what I remember most is that she quoted Psalm 16, verse 6. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. She invited me to believe that this verse was true for me, despite the darkness that I felt. It deeply challenged me because it forced me to ask two questions. One, 
do I believe that God is sovereign over my life? That he has put down the lines for me in pleasant places, even when they don't feel pleasant to me? And two, do I believe that his purposes for me are good, that he does have a beautiful inheritance for me? What I realized was this. If you can answer yes to those two questions, then you can be patient no matter what you face. If you believe that God is sovereign over your life, then you can pray, not my will, but thy will be done. And if you believe that he has a purpose, even in the hardest things, then you can rest in his goodness. You can be patient. Like all the other fruit of the Spirit, patience is a gift that comes from the God who knows himself what it's like to patiently endure. In the person and work of Jesus, so that we might patiently endure for others. I'll end with this. The prophet Isaiah wrote about the patient, long-suffering Christ in these words. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. But surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities, upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. Friends, his wounding brings you healing so that you may bring to the world the same suffering, self-sacrificial, patient love. Do you believe this? Let's believe it together. Let's pray. Father God, we do thank you that you're so patient with us. Help us to live this day and every day in your presence. Fill us with your spirit. Empower us to take up the cross and to follow Jesus, becoming more like him in our words and in our actions and all our relationships. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.